Hello, and welcome to another edition of Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Jeff Moser. I met our next guests on Trawler Talk several months back after coming across their blog, Life on Sweet Day, which chronicled their cruising adventures over the last few years. After reading about them, I knew I had to have them on the podcast, and let me tell you why. After getting married in 2019, Kate and Tim Carney started their life in New York City, managing busy careers, but both couldn't shake the adventures they read about in Honey, Let's Get a Boat, a cruising adventure of America's Great Loop. The couple, who have never owned a boat before and spent limited time on the water, gave themselves five years to go on their own cruising adventure. But when 2020 and COVID-19 changed the world, they knew the time was right and purchased a 31-foot Kamano Sweet Day. From there, the couple jumped in headfirst, taking numerous navigation classes and spending several months prepping their little flybridge trawler for a shot at the Great Loop. And since embarking last year, the Carnies have logged over 8,000 miles aboard Sweet Day, completing the Great Loop and then some. The couple, in their early 30s, adapted quickly to life on the water, exploring America's waterways and coastal towns, and came away with a new and deeper appreciation for the beauty of our country. As they tell us, they also learned to rely on each other, problem solving along the way and finding solutions to maintenance issues with the boat and a schedule now dictated by the wind and tides, becoming, as Kate tells Trawler Talk, that young couple on that cute trawler as they discovered a like-minded community along the way. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Kate and Tim Carney, you guys were amateur boaters and two years into even buying a boat, you completed the 6,000-mile Great Loop. How did you even get into this lifestyle? Yeah, so Tim read about the Great Loop probably five or so years ago. I was in graduate school at the time. Tim was deep in his job. And while it seemed like an incredible experience, it was like, how on earth can we do this now at the age we were and and where we were in life? But it got it on our radar. And Mm -hmm. um, it kind of circled that back up back in 2019 when we were on our honeymoon and we were coming down from an incredible high of a wedding and this wonderful trip we were in Bali and it's like what's next you know what can we kind of really plan together as a newly married couple and the great loop came back up and we started kind of reading about it and thinking about it but it was still a really big step you know and and stage of life where we were we were living in New York City and and both you know really engaged in our work mm-hmm. um but to kind of really take on this big trip we started taking some small steps and so uh, you know we got back from our trip and we joined the aglca the american great loop cruisers association and that just started to get us you know immersed in looper lingo looper talk what the trip's like uh just to get ourselves familiarized with that and then we started looking at boats just dabbling you know going online and mm-hmm. Um, and then we thought, you know, could we actually do this from a financial perspective, from a lifestyle perspective, and kind of just kind of taking those small steps to see if we could really do do the trip. Okay. So let me reiterate here, though. You both grew up with very limited boating knowledge. Is that correct? Yeah. The, the most boating uh, experience um, either one of us had, I, I think Kate did, did a sailing camp for a few weeks on the Potomac. Um, and, and I, uh, growing up had access to my, my grandfather had a, a 21 foot Boston Weller outboard, um, out on the North Fork of Long Island, which is a, just a very different uh, experience than, um, 
kind of the trawler lifestyle. But, you know, we both had a love of the water, but mm-hmm. not necessarily the experience um, of boating to, to start this 6,000 mile trip. Yeah, I know. I mean, the small steps are interesting. You said you joined the AGLCA and you started looking at boats, but really, how did you know what even to look at at that point? I mean, what turned you on to, okay, we want a trawler. I mean, obviously the Great Loop is a trawler centric trip, but how did you narrow down the selection process? So one of the the books that we read that I read mm-hmm. um, and Kate actually read shortly after on the honeymoon, um, we got Kindles, which allowed me to go quite quickly, quite deep into the Great Loop uh, writing world. Uh, but Honey, Let's Buy a Boat, uh, which I, I think is one of the original uh, documents of of what it means to to go on the Great Loop, mm-hmm. was a helpful resource to help us wrap our head around what are the requirements to do the great loop and what's the pros and cons of a big or small boat. Um, and that was really kind of where it started. Um, and one of the things that that book and just from talking to folks with boats, I think, you know, the smallest, uh, boat that, that you can comfortably do, do a trip on is, is typically the best from a cost side and maintenance side and just general usability. So, so that was kind of like our first kind of core insight as we started to look at boats and what it meant for, for the trip. Got it. Got it. Okay. So let's fast forward to this. Is, this was 2019 when you started this process and then 2020 happened and we all know what happened in 2020. We, you know, COVID pandemic began and people started to look at life a little bit differently. So did that sort of fast forward things for you guys and your plans? Yeah. So as I said, we started to take kind of the small steps. Mm-hmm. You know, low risk, wouldn't really shake anything up in 2019, but those big steps of leaving our jobs, leaving our apartment, totally changing our lifestyle, buying a boat, figuring out how to live and travel on a boat, having very little bit of experience before, those are still really the big kind of scary steps. Then as you said, 2020 happened and it totally shook everyone's life up. And for us, you know, we felt really privileged and fortunate that it created an opportunity where this great loop trip suddenly became more of a reality and those big steps actually weren't as big as probably they could have been before and so for me I was in a position at work where I was offered a, a voluntary kind of separation package that just landed on my lap and and decided to take it and that set us up to really be in a better position to take this trip because we had research boats and kind of got familiar with AGLCA and, and all the information back in 2019, um, you know, deciding kind of where we wanted to buy a boat and, and what type of boat that made it easier. So we started talking to a broker. And then because we weren't really living in New York City at the time after 2020, we were already in a bit of a nomadic lifestyle hopping between Airbnbs and family. Mm-hmm. And so we actually really needed a place to live. And it just opened up this door where it was almost crazy for us not to consider the great loop at this time. Got it. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, the timing is kismet I'd say, but, um, finding a boat's another thing. So let's get down to selecting the boat. You, narrowed it down to a few brands or sizes what what was the uh process so i you know i there was a little bit of predetermination i think as i started looking at boats and showing them um to 
to Kate as, as we started thinking about what it meant to do a loop, to do the loop and, and live, you know, in a place that was going to be our home for a year. Um, I remember, you know, as I started researching um, about the, the great loop and, and about boat requirements, um, the Kamado kept on coming up as a boat that had a lot of core characteristics that made it um, a safe um, and, and flexible and practical boat to do the loop on. Um, you know, coming from my experience with an outboard boat and a single battery uh, that, you know, very simple electronics and kind of um, management of that boat, of a boat of a you know, 21 deep. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I learned about the Kamano and kind of some of the core principles of how it was built, the clearer it came to me that this could be a really good boat for the trip. Um, so that's kind of what, what drove us towards the, the Kamano from the start, you know, single engine protected, um, propeller Mm -hmm. and then i think that the third thing that was a big draw for us was that we know we knew we wanted outdoor space and the flybridge of the commando was uh, one of the only boats in that size that provided um, outdoor space for us to drive the boat and hang out on Mm -hmm. so so those were really the the three factors that um drove us from like a practicality um uh, of of kind of the, the the boat we wanted to do the trip on and I think it was also, I mean, there was a lot of, I think, late night YouTubing on, on both of our parts. We spent some time traveling on a Grand Bank uh, in the Chesapeake Bay area and also down in the Carolinas. And then we toured a, a Camano and we re- really realized like this was the top boat that we wanted and, and really only looked at Camanos when we were really serious about purchasing one. Got it. Yeah, I mean, 31 feet. And um, another thing about that, and you had mentioned it to me earlier, that, you know, a Kamano can get up and go if you need to. You've got mm, 17 knots maybe or 15 knots. Top end if you need to make, you know, a bar closing or you need – I don't mean a bar like a pub. I mean, obviously, <laughs> getting into an inlet. Um, you know, it's got the speed if you need that on tap, which is always good to have instead of having, you know, seven knots wide open. And we definitely – a few times on the trip, we're, we're happy that we could, you know, push the boat up to, you know, 3,000, uh, 3,300 RPMs and, and get through a tight inlet or a, a rushing tide or get out of the way of, of, of a freighter that, that might be coming down. So we definitely used it <laughs> yeah. uh, in just the day-to-day boating, which was a, a, a really nice feature to have, to know that you had that extra gear. Yeah. So you picked up the boat. What's next? You had to do the, some prep work on the boat and you know, taking some courses or things like that just to get yourself ready because the next trip after that was 6,000 miles. So how did you prepare once you got the boat and get ready for the trip? Yeah, it's pretty crazy that anybody can buy a boat. They give you the keys and you pretty much yours to use, maybe with a couple hours (laughs) of online training. (laughs) I remember grabbing the keys from the, the selling broker and he said, it's yours. And I said, oh my gosh, really? How do you turn it on? Um, so that was really the basic of where we were starting from. But, uh, a lot of great people that we had the fortunate opportunity to work with. So we started with a powerboat training course where we were, not on our boat, on uh, just a power boat. And I was two days on the water. And that just really got us familiar, you know, with navigation and how do you approach different boats? 
and different tools of, you know, staying in place and backing up and, and maneuvering. And then we did spend a night on a boat uh, through an Airbnb down in the Carolinas as well. And that just, we went out to anchor for the first time. And that again, just kind of got us familiar with this nautical lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then I think the two biggest pieces were one, we hired uh, this couple of Jean and Jerry Coleman, they are incredible. They've done the loop. They're both licensed captains. And they trained us over the course of four different days on our boat of everything from how to get it ready in a pre-checklist to anchoring to docking and just tips about the great loop. And that really got us both comfortable. And they had a lot of confidence in our ability of, you know, you're ready to go and, and go out there. And then um, our great friend, Mike Russell, he helped us with all the things to get ready and get the boat up and, and ready to go for the loop. It had not done a loop to our knowledge and um, needed some, some work to really make it livable for us. And so we spent probably working hand in hand over the course of two months with him. And he taught us a ton about diesel mechanics, electronics, um, just tips and tricks. And, and we could not have done that loop, I think, without him. He always somehow seemed to pick up our call whenever we had any issues along the way. And <laughs> that really was a huge, huge help for, for us in getting ready to go. Well, great. You sounds like you had everything, all your ducks in a row, but you know, things happen. But where did you start this long cruise? Where did you begin and where did you end? So we started, um, I, we, we bought the boat in Punta Gorda and our, our first cruise was on a beautiful day out in the Gulf of Mexico up to St. Pete. Mm -hmm. So we moved the boat over a hundred mile run kind of the first day we had it um, and then put it on the hard and, and came back a few months later. Uh, and, and now is in St. Pete where we prepped the boat for about two months. And then we left um, just before Easter of 2021 um, out of St. Pete. And then we finished back the loop um, in early December um, in St. Pete but we didn't get off the boat um, uh, until April of this year where we spent some time in Florida and then up the ICW uh, before we um, went back to, you know, life on land as, as we're chatting from our apartment today. Oh, so let's talk about the trip. So what did you guys learn about, you know, the 6,000 mile trip about the boat, about our country and God about yourselves? Yeah. What a great question. I think one, it's just, was an incredible privilege that we both, I think, are even recognizing now that we're back on land just to be outside every day. Um, how much good it does for you and, and your well-being, and it's something that we are trying to incorporate now into our everyday life. I think also just to see the country from the waterways is really how different each section of the loop is. Each waterway is different challenges, its landscape. Um, it's communities. And I think also just to be able to spend this time with each other, it really was a like, huge project. You could almost think of it that way. And, mm -hmm. and we really needed to rely on each other and, and kind of all in on, on making this possible throughout the trip. And it was just a really great time to spend, spend the year. We're still happily married, which <laughs> is, I think a big accomplishment. Um, yeah. some, and I uh, just really, wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Do you have any um, favorite moments along the way and during the loop or just places that you never thought you'd see or just were really surprised by some of these small communities that you went through? 
Um, yeah, there's some really, I think, top moments um, that we that stick out um, to me, and I, and I think Kate has a, a list as well. It was it was really, I think, to go on the Erie Canal, and we you know originally you know read a lot about going up into the waterways of in Canada, and we're excited for that. But obviously, with the pandemic still alive. At that, at that point of last year, mm-hmm. Canada was not an option for, for most folks. And we went through the Erie Canal and that was, you know, feel really lucky that we had that opportunity to go see the many towns all, along the Erie Canal and and just the history behind um, that piece of infrastructure. Filled up many podcasts that we listened to on that part of the trip and, and re- reading throughout. The other big part for us was, I think, we didn't spend a lot of time on the Great Lakes we've heard a lot about kind of Michigan and its beauty and it was unbelievable to be able to um, experience Lake Michigan on a perfectly flat calm day um, that's a, a kind of core memory of the trip that you can see the water is you know as clear or clearer than the Kirby and of some on some parts of the lake and mm-hmm. it's a really unique place to be like I can't believe I'm, I'm on here on on our boat and then just a few months after that you're going down the Mississippi um, and just like conceptually you've made, you know, you read about the Mississippi or you've driven over it on a road trip, but to be on it for hundreds of miles and, and seeing kind of how important it is to our, our country's infrastructure, but also um, kind of learning about the history of, of, of that infrastructure. Like those are just some really core memories for me of just like the experience um, and the, the places and people you meet along the way um, were, were, were really big highlights as well. Yeah, and I think it, it, there were so many places that were, I think, all the ones that Tim said. Um, but I think the, one of the biggest takeaways was just being in the presence, I think, of these strong communities along the way. And they formed, they were in different forms. And, and it's almost like you, you know it when you feel it, whether it's, you know, walking into a local grocery store and seeing mm-hmm. the flyers on the wall of the different happenings going around town. It's seeing, people at a marina sharing a meal together or joking around with one another. It's listening to, uh, you know, in the keys, the, the radio um, channel that everyone seems to be tuned in on and, and folks joking around with one another or saying, Hey, I need help with my dinghy. Can you come on over and, and help me? And there's so much, you know, support in that. And I think even for us in, in terms of voting, it's, you pull into Marina or you pull into an anchorage and you're almost guaranteed to, there's somebody there to have dinner with or have drinks with or to share a story with. And that I think is really hard to to find or, or take the time to recognize in, I think maybe everyday life that's not on the water or in our great loop experience. And I think it was just something that we really both appreciated being able to experience and having the time to, to recognize. Mm. Mm. It's really poignant. Exactly. Um, so what about those other times when, you know, you're stuck at the dock, whether it's a storm or you've got to wait out a tide or perhaps you have a mechanical issue? How did you guys learn to deal with those and continue to keep going? Yeah, I think one of the biggest learnings and differences is when you have a problem on the water, you have to fix it now (laughs) there's rarely a hope and it goes away strategy that that works whether that's weather's coming you know your boat doesn't start um 
oh my gosh, like those winds is coming and we're going to pull, you know, get pushed into a dock. And I think it's both of us. We really learned, all right, you know, we have, our schedule is no longer our own. It's, it's based off of really the, the winds and the tides and the boat. And if something pops up, we need to prioritize how do we make that happen? Um, and yeah, it was, there were some really challenging parts where we felt like, you know, we didn't have the resources or we didn't think we had the resources to, to fix the problem or how are we going to, you know, outpace this storm. But it's through just, I think, trusting each other and, and making wise decisions as best as we could to really overcome some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a big part of, of that was I think, communication through um, whether it's, you know, working together in the engine room to change the oil um, and I think it took us like three hours to change the oil the first time we did it and we left the trip and I think we could do it under 30 minutes and not get any drops on our clothes. It was like, <laughs> it was a big accomplishment from that, from like learning some of the core skills of, of how to kind of run the boat together. Um, but, but the, the other part, and I think Kate said it well, was that, you know, like the, the schedule was not always dictated by what you wanted it to be. But it also meant like you could find really creative ways to to spend your time or, or to to make to make the weather windows work. There was a time on Lake Michigan we left at you know three forty five in the morning um, in 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 early September so we could get a travel day before a storm um, came through earlier in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it's that type of I think um, you know understanding your skill sets um, of, you know, taking on the boat, but also like, okay, these are our problems that we face in the next few days. How are we going to find a solution um, to overcome it? Right. And it's, you know, leaving at three forty-five in the morning to, to get a travel day underway or, you know, negotiating with the Marina. So you can use a courtesy card to find a starter shop that's open on a Saturday in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, and then talking to the, you know, going to that starter shop and, and working with, uh, you know, the technician there to, to get the starter replaced um, in 45 minutes, so you can get the car back in time. It's, it's a bunch of, I think, fun problems every day. Uh, and you don't know what that problem uh, will be in, until, you know, you, you get underway sometimes, which is, I think, was, was really fun to, to take on that adventure. Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, I didn't mention this earlier, but Y'all are some of the younger ones that are doing the Great Loop, I would say. So if you feel comfortable, can you tell me your ages? Yeah, I just turned 32 in July. Mm-hmm. And I'll be uh, 32 early next month. So did that – now, how did how were you guys welcomed along the way? Was it with uh, curiosity, enthusiasm? Most of the Great Loopers are usually a bit older, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yes, I, I would say that. I think – one, we became that young couple on that cute trawler uh, <laughs> is how we were known, uh, which I think is a great, I'll take that reputation on the on the loop. Um, I think there were some folks that thought they were on the younger few of uh, great loopers, and then they met us, and, and I think we, we kind of, uh, I guess, change that narrative there were two other couples that we at least had met and known of that were around our age and and they were really fun to to follow Mm -hmm. but um i think there was definitely a sense of curiosity there was always kind of 
a natural interest in folks of how to frame, are you working? How are you doing this? Is this, um, <laughs> what do your parents think? Yeah. And then we would always ask them, like, what do your kids think about you doing this? It's always, oh. you know, listed of a friendly conversation. But um, I think that was also just a really great experience for us as a chance to meet and spend time with folks that in a different age group than ourselves. And um, again, that kind of cross-generational learning and friendships were, were another fun, fun part aspect for the trip for us. I think the, the, the most fun conversations actually uh, about our age were from like young school doc attendants that were, you know, in high school or early in college. And then we pull up and they're like, you're doing the loop. Like they, they would be the most disarmed and be, and just, and, and ask the one, like, how do I, how do I do this? Um, like right now. And, and two, uh, they, they were always, I think the, the most blunt with her questions, which was always fun to, to be able to, to share with folks along the way. You guys got some disciples out there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, no, I, there's, there's some folks that, that have followed us, uh, on our, our social media account that were, uh, that, that we met along the way that hopefully I, I can't wait to see them do the loop uh, uh, in the future. Yeah. But I think the the overwhelming kind of sense was, and we really appreciate it is, you know, wow, you guys figured out how to do this, right? There's no right or wrong way to, to do this trip or this lifestyle. But I think just being privileged in a place where we are healthy and able-bodied and, um, you know, in a place where, again, this experience, no matter what happens in our life can never be taken from us because we did it and, and had those experiences. And I think that was a real privilege to be able to do that at, at the age that we were able to. Yeah. Now you're sort of putting some roots down. So next steps, um, what are you guys up to now? So we, uh, we are putting the boat up for sale, uh, in the, in the Chesapeake area. And we've been able to, to get out of it get out on it a few times uh, this summer, mm-hmm. uh, which has been great as we're living in DC now. Um, but as we like look forward in the next few, few chapters of, of our life, mm-hmm. um, we definitely see the trawler lifestyle in our future, uh, but maybe not in our immediate future. So that was the biggest thing that, that drove us to list our boat um, in, in the Chesapeake area. Okay. Um, and right now we are uh, living in D.C. Um, and and look, at, you know, I'm currently working at an early stage um, startup um, that does zero waste delivery and enjoying being back in, in the workforce and, and living in D.C., but also treasuring the moments that we're able to get out on, on Sweet Day uh, on the weekend. Okay. Kate? Yeah. So, again, we're adjusting back to life on land. I think the biggest adjustment is your schedule is no longer dictated by the the winds and the tides and the weather <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's you know all those things that 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 can get put on your calendar but really grateful I think for us to have a life to come back to and reconnecting with friends and tons of weddings this year and family events it's really fortunate um, and I think inspired by by our trip both of us you know Tim having an interest in and in having a positive impact on the environment and impacting his job. And 
you know, as I said before, I think just having a new and deeper appreciation for just how much beauty there is in our country and its people and pursuing various different opportunities and organizations that are working with us to help unite and strengthen our, our communities and our nation. So we're getting settled in and, um, you know, it's the first time we've had our couch in our own place in the last two years, which makes it, <laughs> which is a big accomplishment and, and having our own dishwasher for the first time and adjusting to all those uh, luxuries that you can get on land. But um, yeah, as Tim said, the, the boat life, I think, is continuing to be in our future. There are a lot of places that we weren't able to go on this trip. And mm-hmm. now that you get a taste of it, I don't think that ever leaves your system. And we're, we're excited to see where, where nautical adventures may lead us next in the future. Yeah. Let's Hope Sweet Day is bought by someone who has the same love and affection for travel that you guys did because it sounds like she's the ideal size for those kind of things. Um, next boat. Let's talk about that real quick. Anything you have your eyes on, anything you like that you'd seen along the way or just in your research that might be like, wow, now that's, that's a heck of a boat to maybe replace Sweet Day with at some point in the future. Uh, yeah, that is, that's an easy one for, for me to answer. And there's a few folks that, uh, that we, we met along the loop that when they see this boat, they send a photo to me, uh, and as we kind of all gaze at it and it's a, it's a Fleming, a Fleming 55 would be, I think the, the adventure dream boat, um, for an extended cruise, uh, was it's, we are currently docked not too far away from, uh, the dealer, uh, on the Chesapeake and it's it's been fun to cruise by and look at, at, at <laughs> yeah. the boats. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing um, that what that has been cool to read about and see is, is, is really kind of the adventures of, of Tony Fleming and, and how much uh, more there is to, to see out in the world and, and, and to have a boat that can, can do that um, would be, uh, I think really, really kind of a, a unique uh, experience and adventure to have. Oh yeah. But Sweet Day will always have a special place in, <laughs> in our heart. <laughs> yeah, let's is, not let's not dispar- sure. let's not disparage Sweet Day. She got you where yeah, you needed to go. Yes, no, I think she can hear us sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so but probably hopefully at some point, uh, maybe a little bigger boat, depending on on how our lifestyle changes. Well, promise to keep in touch and let me know what your plans are with that, and maybe we'll talk again. Yeah, that would be great. Part two. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Kate. Sounds Thank you, good. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, a long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels.